Hello. How you doing? Go ahead, say it. Going to heaven. Hallelujah. Oh, so we'll, we'll be getting there. I'll take a detour quickly to Corinthians. Carrying on 1 Corinthians 6 as we've been making our way through. Just, isn't it a blessing to worship? Probably you can't, I can't wait. You probably can't wait till I get a better. Well, it is a joyful noise, but the heavenly choir, heavenly choir practice and just him ministering to us as we're here. We're trying to worship him and thinking of him and just, you know, the Bible says that when you're filled with the spirit to encourage one another and songs and hymns and just as we were there, Philippians 4.8. I don't know if you guys know Philippians 4.8, but we just sang it. <laughs> uh, think on these things. And uh, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, and just mindful of that. The Lord showed me a while ago, um, talking about spiritual battles. The battle's early. Won or lost early. And I think a lot of times, I don't know about you, I mean, God uses the foolish things of the world, and maybe you're not as foolish as I am, but I can walk around, and I have many times, especially, hopefully I'm getting better, but you can be mad at somebody, a boss, a child, a wife, a spouse, anybody, and be in your heart killing them all day, thinking about them all day, going through things in your head all day, and then you're about to go see them, and you're like, okay, Lord, fill me with the Spirit, and it's like, what happened? (laughs) It's like I've been feeding it and feeding it and feeding it, and all of a sudden it was there, and I'm thinking, Where did, where'd you go, Lord? And he's like, what? <laughs> the battle, it comes from the heart. So why, why do I allow myself to meditate and think on those things all day? And the battle is early, so just sit there and repent. It's easy. What a gift repentance is. You can actually be changed. God doesn't leave us this way. He's, he, he created us with an ability to do anything, uh, and, and change is one of those things that he's given us the ability to do. And um, the desire to change. He's the one that has to change us. Um, but the battles early, and just thinking of battles, as Pastor Rob was just praying, um, just mindful of the prophet who was there with his servant, and they were surrounded, and they were about to get nothing. <laughs> this servant was freaking out, seeing that they were surrounded in the warfare, and then the prophet prayed and said, God, open his eyes that he might see that there's more for us and against us. And so many times I'm sharing stories of my good friend that's here listening. And we were talking one day thinking, did he always see that? How did he know that they were there? Did he walk around always aware of the spiritual realm or did God just show him that specific thing at that moment? But God can do that. And then thinking on that, could you imagine walking around always aware of the battles and the things in the spiritual realm. There's these things going on. I mean, Hollywood couldn't even begin to do it justice for living creatures as Richard's going through and the, the wheels and this, the stuff that happens is, would be mind-blowing. And uh, just thinking it quick, of it quickly, I would think, I don't know if I could handle seeing the spiritual battle all the time, but I think we'd be encouraged because greater is he that is in you. God always wins. It, we don't have to fear the enemy. And, and without a lot of thought going into it, I think it would be overwhelming. But the truth of the matter is it'd probably be encouraging. 
there is a truth that's there. Our God is strong, and he's not just strong. He is strength itself, and anything that has strength borrowed it from him. So, so the strength the enemy has came from him. He's allowing it for a time, and then he's going to take it away by speaking. Right, this big battle versus good and evil. You've read Revelation. It's not a sentence. <laughs> he just says, take him away. He sends an angel, and he's locked up. It's over. It's just, okay, I'm, I'm done with that. Now let's move on. That was a dog going around doing my, you know, my purpose. He's going to be judged for that. And now we have this whole warfare thing going on. So there's this kingdom going on around us that we may or may not be aware of. And then there's this world that we live in that we are all more than aware of. And the two intertwine. And I think sometimes that's where confusion, distraught, anxiety, all of these things come into play. And you don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place Call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. They're in Christ, and they're in Corinth. And as many pastors teach, we have two locations that we're in. We're in Christ, and we're in Rochester right now. We're in the United States. We have two locations, and we have two different kingdoms. And as Pastor Rob read this morning, in Matthew, speaking on children... Matthew 18.4 says, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He's referring to this kingdom that's around and that's here. And uh, I think it's relevant because sometimes we can get caught between it. So I know we understand that there's this flesh versus spirit battle, which basically is the whole book of Corinth. It's a book of rebuke, a correction. So this might be challenging. I think I got accused of flaying my fish before I caught him, before I came up here. But it doesn't mean, have to be hard. It's actually encouraging. Um, but, but we need correction, and God loves us enough to correct us. And that is grace. Isn't, I mean, don't you love having a good dad? Sometimes we do things that are wrong, and we need to be corrected, and we're not able to understand what is right. So if there's a kingdom of heaven and it's here, what's, what matters to it? How do you succeed in this kingdom that's all around us, that matters, that's going to last forever, that you're going to be in? And do we want to succeed in it? Well, it seems that there is going to be advantages for us if we do well here forever. The things that you do to succeed here in some aspects can contradict and interfere with our advancement in the kingdom. They're opposing each other. They're different worlds. The, the, the prince of the power of the air is Satan, and he's here, and he uses people here to try to harm God and God's people. Um, but God allows that to happen. But in, this, in, in, the, in the kingdom of, is, is it good to be rich? Taught Sunday school how many years? A long time. And you can ask the youngest child, you know, who wants a million dollars? And they all raise their hand. 
like a, a million dollars would might ruin me. I don't know what it'll do to you. <laughs> you fire your parents. I don't. What, on a bad day, then hire them back. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy the company and fire everyone. I mean, that's what big kids say. They're they're the little kids. So, but money is power. Money is not the power in the kingdom of heaven. Do we need money? If you're gonna have a great eternity, Jesus Himself said, "Not many rich get in. Blessed are the poor." Yet we all think we need more money. If we need money, what do we need it for? Is it to advance the kingdom? Are we living for the kingdom? And I think Corinthians is a people that were there. It tells us that they come behind no other people with spiritual gifts. But we're going to get to 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, yes, you use the gifts, but you don't have the fruit. The gift is under your control. It's a gift. God gave it to you. But if he's living through you, you'll be able to do stuff, but you're going to do it with the right heart. And the right heart is the fruit of the Spirit, is love. Are you loving people? Love is like money in the kingdom of God. How much love do we have? We're often concerned with how much money we have, or how much time we have, or how much power we have. How do these two worlds intertwine? Well, they each have a, they each have a, a law. I can ask you, is there a law of the land? You'll find that quickly if you go out and try to live outside of that. Does God have a law? Well, we all know that, right? Ten Commandments, and there's other things that are God's law. Well, in Corinthians, we're going to find out these things. Um, chapter 6 is going to come to a point where they kind of clash heads because they're living, claiming to be Christians, yet they're outside of that realm. And I think that's the best way to go forward in reading this and understanding it is to understand that difference, is that there's these two kingdoms Coming and last time we spoke, you know, Apostle, uh, Acts two forty two. Are you? This is not new. Hopefully, uh, they continued steadfastly. The church just began. Um, the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. So the apostles' doctrine is the apostles' teaching on the Old Testament. So chapter five, we went through that and looked at what the Old Testament said, basically about fornication. They didn't understand how to deal with this, or they didn't do anything actually with this man that's in fornication in the church. They claimed to be, they were puffed up. They were proud of the fact how accepting that they were. Paul's like, I don't even need to be there to know what the right thing to do is. You, you, you don't love this man. You're allowing him to be not receiving the benefit that God has for him by living the way that he is, and you don't care. God says, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to correct him because I want him to get into a place he can receive blessing. So when we get corrected by God, it's not like, well, I'm ashamed for to, for to call you my son, so i got to do something about it. He's like, you're in a place you're not going to receive any more eternal reward, and I love you, and I want you to have a blessed eternity. And that's a truth. If nothing else, you can memorize this. God cares more about your eternal well-being than your present comfort. God doesn't mind that you're not comfortable right now if it's going to give you a benefit for eternity. Eternity is a long time. I've mentioned this many times before, too. I had a shirt. I don't know where I got this. I'm going to bought this one. Almost all my shirts Steve gave me. Come get free shirts next. <laughs> They're awesome. <laughs> but um, there was a slogan by Nike, and, it, and, it, and they had a thing. Life's too short. Just do it. And this shirt said, it's not that life's too short. It's that you're dead so long. And then on the back it says, fear God. We're going we're to have a long eternity, 
And what we do matters. And uh, he exhorts us because he loves us, because he wants to bless us. He's not, you know, it tells us in Hebrews that our earthly dads punish us for, our own, for their comfort. And it doesn't sound kind, but I had two boys. I had two brothers. I mean, we fought. We were kids. We acted like we acted, and we were in trouble. And, got, and my dad dealt with us. I have a lot of dad stories. <laughs> we, I had to share a room with my brother. We were only three bedrooms, and there's five of us. So my two sisters shared a room. Me and my younger mom, he's four years older than me. He's a, a Marine and a policeman now. He, it wasn't any, anything we did wasn't fair. But, but we would go at it, and one of us thought, that, and you no know, matter how big my brother was compared to me, my dad was a lot bigger, and we would hear something, and I heard dad. And we'd both run and jump on our beds and just sit there. And we, because my dad would sneak up the stairs to see if he could catch us. So uh, he did it because he didn't. He probably didn't want to listen to my mom. They're fighting again. But, but he knew that he had to do something about it. And uh, God says that He punishes us for us, our benefit. He does it because He loves us. He does it because He wants us to have a better eternity. Um, he, uh, he does. He's not ashamed. He's perfect. He's holy. He uses us to represent Him. He calls us by His name. That's amazing. We're ashamed of our own sin. I don't know about you, but I've prayed that many times. Lord, I'm, I want to repent. I feel guilty. I really don't like this, but don't let me have to deal with the shame of it. It says that he took the shame of the cross. It was a shameful thing. He took our shame. We don't have to be ashamed anymore because he took it. Hallelujah. That in and of itself is enough reason to thank him and praise him. Oh, he's a good dad. He loves us, and everything that he says to us to correct us is for our benefit. So this apostle's doctrine, there's certain things that he wants us to get. Fornication, evidently, I just admitted to my wife, first four chapters we talked about, and they all seem to be about division. A lot of times people teach it chapter by chapter. It was a letter meant to flow. Epistle is a fancy word for letter. He wrote this to a group of people, and they read it beginning to end. And it changes seemingly topics, but division is because of carnality. It's because they were acting Carnal just means natural. It's what I do without the Spirit of God. People function. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And what he meant is you can do nothing correct, because we do lots of things. Before I was saved, I did a lot of things. They just didn't honor God. They didn't worship him, and they were shameful. Um, but there's things that divided them because they were thinking naturally, and they were prideful about what they thought, the battle in the mind. In chapter 5, he says, you guys think that you know all this stuff. You're prideful about your doctrine. He said, there's a guy sleeping with his mother-in-law in your church, and you don't correct him. You don't do anything about it. He said, what are you doing? What do you, what do you actually know? And he says, that he goes to the Old Testament. He says, this is what it means. This is what you're supposed to do. Chapter 6, it seems to you can, which I will be doing, probably teaching chapter 6, reading the whole thing, next week, 7. First four division, five, sexual immorality in the church. Six, they're suing each other at court, which is kind of what we're going to be talking about tonight. Seven, then it seems to go on to marriage, and then it goes on. Yet, there's fornication mentioned in five, there's fornication mentioned in six, and there's fornication mentioned in seven. There's a theme that somehow ties together that maybe by the time I'm done tonight, I'll get it. <laughs> but, or someone can explain it to me. But... There's this flow, and uh, 
the law was for, for the Old Testament Jews, you can, God's, he never changes. He, we don't have to fix them. What he meant, he said, and what he said, he meant. And even fornication, so you guys are familiar with the council at Jerusalem, talked about in Galatians, so they were sitting there, they were Judaizers, they said, you know, they're supposed to get circumcised and blah, 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 there's all these different conflicts, they ended up, Paul ended up, had a dispute with them, goes back to Jerusalem, has this council, sits there, they all talk, and they, they came up with four things that all of the, the, the non-Jewish churches should follow, and fornic fornication made the list. It's good to not fornicate. We talked, if you weren't, go listen to the last study, convicting enough. What are we doing with the things? It's not wrong to have a desire. God gave us desires. What are we doing with it? As many pastors have said, you know, sex isn't evil. It's God's idea. It's got a purpose. It's designed to show an intimate relationship between Christ and the church, between you and your wife. So in the confines of marriage, it's safe. And a lot of people will say it's kind of like a fire. A fireplace in a fireplace is great. You don't want to have it on the couch. It'll burn and destroy. Out of place, it destroys. We're going to get there next week, maybe partly at the end of this chapter, but mainly next week. There's something that happens spiritually when two people come together. And another thing that many teach on is that you take two pieces of paper, you glue them together. Well, when you take them apart, you're destroying one or the other. There's something that happens when two things come together, and it's more than physical. There's something inside that damages. I remember one pastor talking about this from another book. He said he was having marriage counseling, and they came in, and the whole time they're just sitting there fighting with each other. And he was like, this is supposed to be marriage counseling. He goes, why don't you just leave each other? I mean, split up. This is unnatural. If you don't, if this is what your relationship was like, just then he looks, the Lord spoke to him. He's like, you're sleeping together, aren't you? You can't split up anymore. You're going to push through this. You think it's going to get better just because you get married? He's, it's got to get dull. There's something that happens that unites people through the whole thing. And uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, I'll just read a couple of verses that kind of ties this whole point together. First uh, Thessalonians 4, verses 1 to 8. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And to be sanctified means to be set apart. It's the act of being made holy. It means you're taken out of the world you're separated from the world, and you're being separated to God. All of a sudden, death and resurrection. If you want to be my disciple, take up your cross. Follow me. Death, resurrection. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, parenthesis, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. So there's this difference between lust and love. Love cares about the other person. Lust cares about me. And I don't know how many times when you talk to people, they get, if they're not saved, they don't even understand the difference between that. Well, I don't love them anymore. 
So what did you love about them? Well, they made me feel good. Well, then you love you. <laughs> they benefited you. That was, that's not love. That's lust. If you, nobody can make you not love them anymore. If all I care about is you, then whatever you do doesn't matter because it's not about me. I, I can, Jesus just loves you. It doesn't matter what we do. Some people say, I can't believe Jesus would love me. Well, that's because you don't know how loving he is. It's not about how lovable we are. He loves because that's who he is. He can't not love you because he's loving. He is love. And one other verse, and then I'll get to Corinthians. But in Colossians, three. I don't know if you remembered last time, but I said I didn't finish, so I'm kind of finishing. <laughs> it ties hopefully together with this. Colossians 3 um, starts out, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Again, set your mind. Think about things on heaven, not on earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on earth, so he's saying that you have a physical body, you're living here, it's designed to please God. So don't use your body just for yourself. The first thing he mentions, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Think about that, idolatry. What's, an idol what's idolatry? Well, it's having an idol. What's an idol? A false god. What's the power behind a false god? A demon. There are no really other, there is, only, there is no other God. But the Bible talks about all these false gods. So can you name some of the idols that people in the past have worshipped? It's a God of what? Sex. Corinth had a, a huge temple to Venus that temple prostitutes in the evening would walk out into the city. And what did they do? They slept with the temple prostitute and they thought it was normal. Bacchus. You ever heard of the god of Bacchus? There's a liquor store called the House of Bacchus. It's a god of alcohol. You ever see anyone worship the god of poison ivy? Why, why do they only pick the things? They're, 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 they're choosing and making a god of their own mind. We only follow the things that we want. If my life is all going to be about myself and carnal, that's what I'm going to do. I just recently had poison ivy. So this kind of hits home to me. You ever have poison ivy? You ever scratch it? Why do you scratch it? Because it itches. Does it, you, you scratch it because it feels good. I'm in pain. I, it's driving me crazy. There's something in me. Ugh, in it, in it. But does it make it go away? No. Does it feel good to scratch it? Yeah. Do you think I would recommend that you go out and get poison ivy because it feels good to scratch it? No. Sometimes things happen, and then you get into it, and then you have this itch, and you can't not scratch it. And you know it's got to go away. But it's, you know it's not good. I think of people that smoke cigarettes. I think of people that get drunk all the time. I think of people that do heroin. Why do you do heroin? Because now I'm addicted to it. You have to make it stop, but having more doesn't help. You have something inside of you that needs something, and you're fulfilling it. And I know, do one of those things send you to hell? No. But 
Why do we create a need just to fulfill it so that we can feel satisfied? Anything that we do, I've told you this before too, I've, the Lord showed it to me, and I, drinking, why did I drink? I used to drink pretty casually. Then I drank, I binged, you know, it's like everyone else, guys at work, Friday, I go home, I don't know, you can ask her, I don't know how, unsaved, one time I came home, I wasn't even out of the car and into the house, and my kid, I think we had one son at the time, and he was inside crying, and she opened the door and stuck her head out, and I'm thinking, okay, what do I say to her? Because I got to go to bed, I am not feeling good, and it's early, and she's like, if you ever come home like this again, don't bother coming home. I'm thinking, I'm not even out of the car, how did she... I don't know if somebody called her. I never was too ashamed to ask. I can ask her now, though. That's a long time ago. <laughs> but why would I drink? I told people to drink. You, the fact that you... I, so I, 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 I hardly drank at all. I got saved. I got saved by listening on the radio. You know, Rob was saying this morning how he had somebody ministering to him, sharing with him. He shared it before. Knew the gospel. Felt free because he knew what it meant. I just happened to come across the radio station by chance. Didn't even want to listen to it. But... I heard the name Jesus, and I hit seek to go to the next station. And the Holy Spirit just said, you just turned off God. And I felt so guilty, I turned it back. And that happened three times in the same day. And every time I heard one word, and every time it was his name, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then I would just listen to it, and I didn't want to. Next thing you know, the next day I listened to 10 seconds. The next day I listened to a minute. The next day I listened to five minutes. And eventually I heard the whole gospel, and I was convinced I'm going to hell. And then every morning I would pray to get saved because I didn't know better. And I had, I'm just sitting there. But I would get saved. I'd read the Bible. And it came to a point in time where I got home from work and I'm going to read the Bible now. And I've only read one book from cover to cover my whole life when I was a kid. I think it was Star Wars. I cheated in school. I didn't know. I was horrible. Bad student. So I ended up having this desire to read out of nowhere. I just wanted to read the Bible. And I would go home. I would open a beer. I'm not getting drunk. I'm just having a beer. This is me. And... uh all of a sudden, I had this piece, and I'm drinking, and it's going away, and it's this bottle sitting there, and it's like, I used to drink because I wanted a piece. Now when I drink, I'm losing my piece. And God just said, why are you drinking? And uh, I know that a lot of people, the Bible doesn't say you can't have a beer. I believe it tells pastors that they can't, but people in leadership, it's not wise. People that are being seen publicly that deal with kids shouldn't. I think there's a lot of things about that, but the question shouldn't just be, can I? The question God asked me is, why do you want to? And everyone that I know that's ever saw alcohol, it's because they're in a spiritual or mental state and they're looking for something else. They want to change it. And our flesh needs to be changed. We have no peace, no Jesus, no peace. Why do you want to alter where you're at? The Holy Spirit can alter where you're at. That's God's remedy. That's why it says, be ye not drunk in wine, words in excess, but be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let his peace rule you. Being a very young, naive Christian, not knowing anything, I lost my peace. I decided not to do it anymore. I let that peace rule me. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And if you do, repent. And then just walk with him. And I think, unfortunately, many Christians aren't walking in the peace of the Holy Spirit. So they don't, know what, they don't even know what it means to lose that. Pray, ask, beg, get on your knees. Lord, fill me, let me know what it means to be filled with your Holy Spirit. And, and, and now we have this whole different kingdom that we're living in. 
Holy Spirit is leading and guiding you. If the Holy Spirit's not going to lead you to sin, if you're walking in the Spirit, you don't need a law. He's ruling you. The law is for those that are, are, are lawless. The law is for those that need direction. The law are, is for the unsaved to drive them to the fact that they need a Savior. And again, the whole Old Testament, how much of it is on sacrifices, things that, that you can go through because you need to be forgiven. It's not just telling you the speed limit. It tells you the speed limit. Then it tells you you're in trouble if you break it. Then it tells you what the penalty is. And then he pays the penalty for it. You've got to kill something innocent for it. And it tells you how to be restored. The whole thing is about God and his forgiveness. So now here you get to that point. You're receiving gifts. You're walking in this kingdom, but you're still here on the earth. And sometimes people upset us. What's our heart supposed to be in this kingdom for other people? The Bible says that you will know, the, pe- the world will know you are my disciples by the love you have one for another. So why would you take somebody to court? Why would you take anybody to court? Because I want something. I got wronged. What does the Bible have to say about it? 1 Corinthians 6. I titled this, How Dare You? I think that's what Paul was said to him. <laughs> what do you do? How dare you? Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Two kingdoms, two places you can go to. So first of all, there is another place that we can go if we have a problem with somebody. Go to the saints. Two, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more are things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, if you have judgments concerning things in this kingdom, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? He doesn't say they're worthless. He doesn't say they're wrong. He just said they're not esteemed high. I say this to your shame. Shame on you. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? And I think that's kind of, I don't, I don't know if it's sarcasm, a pun. They claim to be really smart and wise. They're puffed up. They thought they were all arguing and divided because of how much that they knew. Yet they couldn't judge a little metal in their church and they tell people that they got to go to an unrighteous unsaved judge court system to figure out their differences. Is there not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? That had to sting. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now there's a testimony. I mentioned last time the flag outside the pride flag outside your church. This is what we want to be known as. Well, they're also known as the church that sues each other. <laughs> well, they, they, they hurt me. And think about the rationale of this. What do you think probably most lawsuits come down to? Money. A service that wasn't paid for. Something to do financially. So this is brother against brother. So if we're a body of believers... What's our mission? What are we doing? What are we here for? What's our goal? We have a head. 
this church has a place we're supposed to make disciples. There's different ministries. I don't know, we have an elders meeting tomorrow night. I don't think we're going to sit there and say, this is how much money that we have. And we're all going to say, well, we need this, well, we need that. Or, well, God's in control. He's not broke in what he has allowed us to have. We just got to figure out what he's doing. We all have the same purpose and intention. We want to please God and do what he wants. And that's how we should all be together. Not that we need to have all things in common. Not that we need to be socialist and say, if it's mine, it's yours. I mean, if God allowed me to have something, I don't know how many times I've been out in the street and people were coming up and saying, you know, God didn't give me enough money, I can't even eat. Well, the scripture says that God is not going to let his children go hungry. So if you don't have enough money to eat, then you did something else with the money that he gave you. Let's just try to figure that out. I'll pray with you. I might get you a meal. But if you're doing something wrong with the money, you need to figure out why. What, what, what's going on? He's not broke. Let's come into agreement on this. But if we all want the same thing, we shouldn't be competing for one another. It doesn't make sense to sit there and say, I want what you have, or you have what I want, or I'm going to get something. Brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. It's not only that they have a bad heart, but they're willing to tell the whole world about their bad heart. And when that happens, when a pastor falls, you don't have to just go to court to find out about it. It'll make all the news. They love talking about Christians that fall on the news. Not that other people don't fall. It's kind of, I don't remember the last time, well, I also don't watch the news anymore. But you used to hear a lot about Catholic priests molesting kids right now. And between all of the things happening and what they're teaching in schools, actually school teachers are more prone to be found molesting children now than priests were. Of course, they bring it up and they talk about it, and it's almost a breeding ground. Fortunately, there's many good ones there, and pray your kids are in with the good classes. Verse 7, now therefore it is already an utter failure. They're going to court because they want to win. Paul says the fact that you're going to court means you've already lost. It's already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? There's a kingdom rule. Not many people stick on the refrigerator. Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? There's a kingdom, and a kingdom has a king, and God is the king. That's why it's called the kingdom of God. He's the king, and there's a way to live in it. Do not be deceived. So right after talking about taking people to court and suing their brethren, he says, neither fornicator, which always seems to be the first on these lists, nor idolater, nor adulterer, nor homosexual, nor sodomite, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but, and so, such were some of us. And I would say not some, I would say all of us were at least some of those things. And as 
we heard recently from the pulpit too. What makes you a thief? What makes you a murderer? It's not like I walk down the street and all of a sudden I pull out a gun and shot someone. I'm like, oh, I guess I'm a murderer. I didn't know it. No, it's something that I had in my heart. Sin comes from the heart. That's why Jesus said, if you think evil against your brother for no reason, you're already guilty of murder. And if you let that fester, like I said before too, except for grace and opportunity, any one of us is capable of doing any heinous thing that anybody, the worst that anybody's ever done. Just pray, God, don't let your grace leave me. You change me. And let there not be an opportunity for that to happen. Repent quickly. Don't let it fester in your heart. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The Holy Spirit will arrest you. Pray that he does. Lord, stop me before I get too far into this. The flesh, and again, these are works of the flesh, and I've said this hopefully every time I'm up here. God doesn't say your flesh gets better. He says it needs to be put to death. You don't become a better person. You just learn how to walk in the Spirit more. The Holy Spirit doesn't sin. He's incredible. If people see him, they'll think you're great, and you know better. I am capable of bad things. Ask my wife. Ask my kids. Thankfully, you can't read my mind, or you probably wouldn't have come tonight. <laughs> What's in us? But, but God Sanctified, washed, sanctified, justified. If you're not sure what those mean, look them up. They're worth studying. Things that God does. Two different kingdoms. We have our own set of laws in our country. Is it good to have laws? We need laws, unfortunately. I remember a government in and of itself, I was reading, I'll probably get this wrong, I think it was Thomas Paine. He was an early founder. He basically said there's society and government. And society is what we do. We all get along. Society is good. Two people living next to each other. One's a farmer. One's a herdsman. They share society. They help each other. You give me this, I'll give you that. What happens if he doesn't give you this? Well, now we got to have a, a law. He said, unfortunately, government is a necessary evil, and when it gets too big, it becomes a problem. And that's what they were saying about England, which is why they decided to revolt and split. But we have three documents that secure our rights as Americans. The Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. We have a court system designed to make sure these rights are protected. We have lawyers and judges to understand these things. We have policemen to enforce them. And if you, under the threat of punishment, there's another kingdom. And, and as Rob quoted this morning from Romans 13, it's, they, are, they should be, if you don't do anything wrong, they'll, they'll praise you. So you don't have to fear them. But the kingdom of God has a law. It's the law. It's applicable in every land. It was declared by the king. When it contradicts any other legal system, it should and will prevail. And it 
doesn't guarantee any rights. He just tells you truth. He demands love from all and to all. It needs no earthly help in discerning truth. It bears eternal consequences for everyone. It provides an advocate for anyone in his family. And anyone in his family gets an eternal inheritance when he goes. And I kind of like that. We sing that too, um, to look on him and pardon me. And I've mentioned that many times. It's Christ in you. We have two locations. We're in Christ. So it's not just that God, when I stand before him, will look at Christ and pardon me, but he'll see Christ inside of me. When he looks at me, he sees his son. Jesus died so he could live in me. Jesus died so he can live in you. And for some reason, we get what he was going to get. That makes no sense. It's not, (laughs) except for God to say it and declare it, I wouldn't even believe it. The other side of that is if Jesus is there and there's his dead body and he wants to come inside of you and you don't let him, when Jesus looks at you and you're not saved, he'll see the one that killed his son because his son wanted to live in you and you wouldn't let him. You're either guilty of killing God's son or you are God's son. One can't be better, one can't be worse. Night and day, God is gracious and he's awesome. Tells us in, uh, in Matthew, obviously, turn the other cheek, that whole portion, right? He says, why don't you just accept wrong? I don't know about you. The flesh in me. Like Rob said this morning about, I'm going to die and I'll be raised from the dead. They're like, oh, I can't hear you because I don't even know what you're talking about and I don't want to believe it. So it just skips right over you. Jesus, he says, why don't you just accept wrong? Because I don't want to. Because I'm mad. Because I have rights. Well, you're mine. What rights? Can you imagine if Jesus did that towards us? Did Jesus? Yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> he says, you know what? The, the God that died for you is living in you. Think about that. Jesus, it said, I, the, he had the power in himself to raise himself from the dead. Can you fathom what that is? He says that's what's inside of you. You can lay your life down. Maybe it'll sound better. I can lay my life down. Isn't that what marriage is supposed to be? Christ laid his life down for the church. A husband is supposed to lay his wife, life down for his wife. Well, I don't know if I can do that. I don't even know that I'm, I'm not even sure... Sometimes we're not even aware. So you're sitting there and you're in a relationship, you're married. The next thing you know, you're upset with your spouse. My wife, you wouldn't believe. First of all, why would God allow me to see sin in someone else? I'm supposed to wash her with the water of the word. I'm supposed to help her get by her own flesh. The other side of that whole thing is, God's asking me, why does that bother you so much? There's something inside of me I didn't even know was there. And he is using her to expose it. So what's worse, her sin or my reaction to unforgiveness in what she's doing, that plank eye? What is God more upset with? The fact that people sin or the fact that people won't forgive it? 
because after he forgave me, read the parables, or don't and feel better about yourself. <laughs> so Matthew 5.38, I referenced it, and I'm going to read it. I know Rob was there not too long ago, but... Right after he gets done talking about adultery in the heart and marriage in oaths, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants you to borrow from you, do not turn away. And then he goes on to say, love your enemies. And if we're supposed to love our enemies, how much more are we supposed to love our own family? Why would they be taking each other to court? If we're supposed to do that for an enemy, why can't we do that for each other? If somebody here in the body is bothering me, pray for them. Be an example to them. Show them the forgiveness of Christ. A soft answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 15. Just meditate on that. That's a good place to begin. It says in verse 12, 6-12, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And we can sit there, I can sit there. All things are lawful for me. What does that mean? Well, some people think it's a math equation. Jesus paid the penalty for every sin, so therefore, all sin's free. <laughs> so I can do whatever I want, and he'll have to forgive me because I already paid the price for it. But I think it's more of a chemistry problem. And the two shall become one. They come together. There's a mixture. Christ in me, the hope of glory. He's fulfilling the law through me. And if the Holy Spirit is leading me, then whatever he's telling me to do, there is no law against love. And again, we go back to do not drink wine or is in excess, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to say, um, that I will not be brought under the power of anything other than the power of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, we're a vessel, we're designed to be filled, you're a slave to something. And we're not going to have time, but Romans 6, right? Whoever you submit yourself to, is whatever, whoever you choose to be your master, right? The old Bob Dylan song, we all got to serve somebody. You have to worship, you're created to worship, you can't help it. The question is, is what are you going to worship? Are you going to worship desires and lusts that you have in your body? Is that going to be your idol? Is that going to be what you follow and who you serve? Or are you going to say, you know what, I am going to follow Christ. I am going to let him be my master. And the only way I can do that is to allow the Holy Spirit to empower me. And I am not going to engage in anything that makes him not able to work through me. Anything that can empower you, what can empower you? You know yourself better than I know you, but you don't know yourself as well as God knows you. Ask him. Some people it's anger, some people it's drugs, some people it's sex. What do I let control me? Because whatever I'm letting control me that's not God is an idol in my life. 
And he says it needs to be burned and smashed. Repent of it. Let God take over. He can. We know it because he has done it. He promised. He said it. We, we were never intended to be perfect without him. We were to be a vessel that he was going to dwell in to bring himself glory. It's his plan all along. It was his idea. He's the one that came up with it. We don't have to twist his arm. That's what he wants to do. Lord, fill us with your spirit that we may glorify you. Who gets to plan our time? Who gets to spend our money? Who gets to decide what comes out of our mouths? Who gets to decide what goes in our mouths? Who gets to decide who we're intimate with? What am I allowing to control me? Verse 13, foods for the stomach. That's on my fridge, by the way. It's not, actually, I'm going to put it on there. Foods for the stomach. Carbs are good. (laughs) Food's not bad. God made food. He made your stomach to digest food. The fact that we need food is because God designed it that way. It's not wrong to be hungry. It's wrong to allow hunger to control you, but it's not wrong to be hungry. But God will destroy both it, the stomach, and them, foods. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. You have freedom to eat what makes you comfortable. You do not have freedom to sleep with whoever you want. Paul said that. If you don't like it, take it up with him, which means you're going to have to die. Never, just, just believe it. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit that said it through him anyways. Take it up with God. And God, will, and God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know? Do you not know? This is the... Fourth time he asked that. We'll be getting to that next. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? You are joined with Christ. The marriage of the church with Christ. That picture, the two shall become one. He's like, it's an actual truth. You actually are combined together. Do you not know that your bodies are members of of Christ shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot certainly not so now here he's getting to the nitty-gritty of it why does he hate fornication so much first of all would God sleep with a harlot no is it wrong for me to yes will God forgive me of my sin yes if I'm in Christ there is a way to be forgiven if I eat something I'm not supposed to it might upset my stomach but Christ is in me. He's not in my stomach. He's in my heart. And when I, there's something spiritual that happens when you unite yourself with another person intimately. And he's like, if you have Christ in you and you do something of that nature, then you're in reality joining him to it. He, he, he tells you don't do that. Do you not know that you're 15? Do you not know that your bodies? are members of Christ, shall I then take the members of Christ, your body, and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? When you join yourself physically 
with somebody, you're joined with them. For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. This doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get pregnant and have a baby. So what does it mean when the two become one? Oh, well, two people can have one child. Well, he's saying it's more than that, because even if there's not a child, just sleeping with them makes you one with them. And it's not necessarily just when God puts a husband and a wife together. Anytime you're joined, he's saying, with a harlot, don't do it. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So now we get to see the truth of what this intimate relationship is designed for us to understand and learn. There's a reason why he did it. It's a good reason. It's not wrong just when it's out of context, out of place, and out of order. 17. And think about that, like as we took communion this morning, about Christ in you, about it going into you. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. That's great news. And because of that truth, 18, flee sexual immorality. And obviously we can go to Joseph. There's a whole lot of things. If you're getting in trouble, sometimes the best thing to do is just get out of there. Just run. Leave. In your heart, get out. I, don't, I mean, you might feel cowardly, but be safe. Be wise. And don't ever get to a place where you need to be there again. And it's kind of funny. I was talking to a good friend of mine from work who's rather blunt. He'd come here for a little while. And uh, talking about, again, in the mind. And some people get so wrapped up in passion in a moment, they're with somebody and their body takes over, and now they're like, I can't, I, can't, it's not, I can't stop it anymore. And it's like that addiction that we were talking about before. And now you're itching, and you got to scratch it, because it just feels good, and it's driving you crazy. And he was talking about how mental it is. And uh, he told me, if you're with a woman that you're not supposed to be with, and you get yourself alone with her in a place that you're not supposed to be, and you end up in a situation, and your hormones, your testosterone, you're just... I'm like, there's, I, I'm out of control right now. And if she leans over and whispers, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you I have AIDS. Your body pays attention. There's something about your heart that's tied to your mind. You can have something to do about it. What you think about will get you into a lot of places where you're not supposed to be. And all of a sudden, now physically, physical and spiritual things are tied together. What's an ulcer? It's a hole in your stomach. From what? Being nervous. Thoughts can physically affect you. Don't let it. Flee sexual immorality. 18. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You don't live in this tent by yourself. You're not a single residence making up your own rules. Don't have to worry about not taking the garbage out. God's like, it's a mess in here. <laughs> I know in 1 Corinthians 3, we talked about that, talking about the, the temple of the, you are the temple. He was talking to the church. The church in general was the temple. Here he actually talks about, specifically with the words, is that you personally are the holy of holies. The word he uses is for the inner part of the sanctuary. 
the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You are now the temple. That's why Paul, in the New Testament, Hebrews, it says that you're, and Peter, you're a nation of priests. What, what do you do in a temple? A temple is a place of sacrifice. They kill animals there. You offer the blood of Christ on your heart. We do it ourselves now. The veil's been torn. We are now allowed in. We now are priests. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So obviously he's saying if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, where are you going to take God? What are you going to do? And again, you're sitting in your house in the old scenario, and all of a sudden you're doing what you do. You have a room, and Jesus comes, and he walks in, and he sits down next to you on the couch. Hey, what's up? Well, you're going to be mindful of what you watch on TV. He's, does he have access to the kitchen? Does he ex have access to your closets? What rooms do you keep them from? What compartments of your heart do you have? Give them the keys. <laughs> you be the guest. Another t-shirt, because there was a common saying in the old days, um, God is my co-pilot. And I had a t-shirt that was given to me too. It says, if God is your co-pilot, change seats. <laughs> Let him steer. <laughs> For we were, you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's why I had said earlier, in this kingdom we have no rights, because you're not your own. You've been bought. And that word means slave. In context, you're slave to God. And some people find that offensive. I will not have this man rule over me. But it tells us in Romans 6, which you're going to read when you go home, <laughs> is that you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. We were created to be slaves. You're created to serve something. You can't help it. What are you serving? That's the question. And God is a much better master than drugs. God is a much better master than sex. God is a much better master than us. God is a good master. He designed you for this, and that's the whole purpose of this. And uh, just to finish... Sorry, we started six on Sunday night. So um, I had asked Rob the, the last song that we sang, speaking of, which kind of made me think of that, you were bought at a price. And uh, before the throne of God above, and I'll just finish by saying the lyrics to the song. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, Whoever lives and pleads for me, my name is graven on his hands. His name is written, my name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, he doesn't have to make things up, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. In this last verse, behold him, which is a good idea. Behold him there. The risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One in himself, the two become one. I cannot die because he ever lives. 
My soul is purchased by his blood. He bought me with his blood. He owns me. He should have the ability, he does have the ability, he does have the right to, to tell me what I'm supposed to do now. I should let him. And hence, the battle. Without choice, we can't love. He allows free will, and then he just says, love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now the question is, the the Spirit of God will lead me there and my flesh will go away from there. What am I going to give in to? Whatever I feed will become stronger. What am I doing? I'm reading a book I've told many of you. We're in a war. There's a war going on in the world. There's a war going on in our hearts and in our minds. And are we fighting? Are we fighting for it? Or am I just giving in? Some people are like, I don't really know, even are aware of a battle. I remember years ago, there were some people, I think it was the Sudan, were here, missionaries talking. And we're like, we're, we're praying for you guys. There's a battle, there's a war, you guys are getting killed. It's horrible over there. We're praying for you. And he just looks at us and says, well, we're here because you're in more trouble than we are. You're in a war and you don't even know it. <laughs> we're doing great. Don't worry about us. What can we do for you? Like, I guess I don't know. (laughs) Just pray. Pray the Lord would show us we need help. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. And uh, Father, we just thank you that you made a way. There might only be one way, but you did make a way. And we praise you for it. We know that we can be filled with your Spirit, live a life pleasing to you if we allow him to lead us, We just ask for a favor because you're a good dad and you want to give it to us. We ask for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit that we might properly worship you because you deserve it. And we just pray that we would learn to love one another. And every time we have aught, that we would be mindful because your Spirit is showing us there's something in us that you're trying to put down and that we shouldn't try to fight for our rights, that we should just submit to you be in the same boat with the same people going to the same destination with the same purpose Lord teach us to fellowship one with another with you being the rudder the thing that steers us the captain of our salvation Lord we need help and you have help help us to receive it in Jesus name Amen